0: Hello there! So welcome to this week's 10-minute recap. Although I suppose I am posting this a week late, so I should say welcome to last week's 10-minute recap. Look, I really apologize for the late video. It's It's been a wild ride for my family these last few weeks. Lots of busy things going on, but we're hanging in there and I'm finally getting caught up. So thanks for joining me as... I catch up on catching you up. <laughs> so the video for this week, uh, this week's recap, not last week's recap, will be posting this weekend as well. So there's gonna be two, two recaps this weekend, all right? So for this one, we are looking at Psalm 80 to Psalm 112. Now, Psalm 80 is a song about restoration that really only God can give. So its main theme is repeated three times in the Psalm. And it goes like this. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Okay, Psalm 81 then brings some hope back into this desperate cry to God for restoration. It calls for joyful hope, praising God for not only who he is, but it goes into the history of Israel showing how God had actually rescued them before. God has this proven track record of rescue, so the people just have to be faithful to God and follow his ways. Psalm 82 is then God charging the rulers of the earth with evil. Now, you're probably aware of it. There's a pretty famous argument over whether this Psalm 82 is talking about spiritual rulers over the earth or physical rulers. Uh, So God charges these rulers, these leaders with wickedness for showing partiality, for not upholding justice, but really quite the opposite, for being wicked. Now, I personally think that this psalm in context makes sense to be speaking to spiritual principalities or powers over nations and territories. But to be honest, I do hold this view gently, Um, so that just means that I mean by that that I could have my mind changed here, but I really do think that there's good biblical evidence for territorial spiritual beings being behind and influencing human rulers and countries and empires and whatnot. Okay, so the end of Psalm 82, though, really emphasizes the goal of the psalm, which is calling out to God for God to come and judge the nations, for him to bring ultimate correction like only he can, and for him to end injustice with his truth. All right. So moving on to Psalm 83, this one is the people of God. So the nation of Judah in this context, calling out for God to judge their enemies. And really, despite the brutal language that's employed here, the psalm ends with this. It's really interesting. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. Hmm. Psalm eighty four then talks about a, a pilgrimage to go worship God at the temple in Jerusalem, uh, which is which is kind of cool to read. Psalm eighty five is another corporate or group prayer for God's restoration. Now again, this psalm looks to Israel's past when God had previously forgiven and restored. Psalm eighty six is a Psalm of David, and um, it's a prayer for personal help. I'm going to read you verses 11 to 13. They say, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Psalm 87 identifies Jerusalem or Zion as the place where God chose to place his name. Now that title or that phrase, the place where I chose to place my name, features really prominently in the law of Moses, the the you know specifically in the book of Deuteronomy, which was written before there was a capital city of Jerusalem or even a temple in Israel. Now this psalm also talks about how the nations will acknowledge God and they're going to take on a new identity, not as a people from a specific country, but as people of God, as being born at least spiritually in Zion. Now Psalm 88 is pretty dark and gloomy. It represents prayer to God in a time of uh, great personal darkness and depression, hoping in God in a seemingly hopeless situation. Psalm 89 is a royal psalm that was either written by or written for one of the kings of Jerusalem. And it's a call for God to restore the power of the line of David. So political breakthrough was really needed here. Um, This psalm was probably written during one of the times when Judah lost her political independence. So either when she became an Assyrian vassal state or maybe when she became an Egyptian vassal state or maybe even during or after the Babylonian captivity. Psalm 90 begins book or collection four of the Psalms, and Psalm 90 is famously a prayer of Moses. So it's a really appropriate placement of this psalm, because while Psalm 89 had highlighted the loss of kingly power in Jerusalem, Psalm 90 comes along and highlights God's unchangeable role of true king. Now, Psalm 91 talks about how God is the true refuge and strength of the righteous, how he will ultimately rescue those who acknowledge his name. Psalm 92 was written to be sung on the Sabbath. Um, It's praise for God. It's recognition that God blesses those who follow him. Psalm 93 is again about God reigning as king, a major theme in the Psalms. He's robed in majesty and he's eternal. Psalm 94 is a call for the true king, God, to rise up and bring judgment, to bring true righteous justice to the earth. It's a reminder that our hope should be in God alone, not in any human ruler. Psalm 95 is a call for God's people to praise him and bow to God's authority, not to be stubborn like they have been in the past, like in the wilderness wandering period after the exodus specifically. Psalm 96 is a call to praise for the whole world. And Psalm 97 is all about God's righteousness, faithfulness, and justice. Psalm 98 talks about what our proper response to God's righteousness, faithfulness, and justice is, which is mainly to praise him. Psalm 99 emphasizes that God is holy, meaning really that he's altogether different than every other person or being. And the description of him here is that he's awesome and powerful. He's just and fair. He doesn't show partiality to anyone. He forgives and he punishes. Psalm 100 calls for the whole world to be thankful to God as our creator, but also as the being who provides for us like a shepherd provides for sheep. Psalm 101 is a psalm of David, and it contains a series of vows that David makes to God, which, you know, it's really interesting to see inside of his head here. Now, Psalm 102 is a lament. It's a song of someone in deep distress who's crying out to God. And there's some really lonely imagery in this psalm. The author does believe that God will rescue him. And he writes, let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven, he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and released and released those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. Psalm 103 is a classic hymn written by David. Verses 9 to 13 say this He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 104 highlights God's role as king over all creation, so what he does and how he sustains creation. Psalm 105 traces the history of Israel from God's covenant with Abraham, so the very beginning of Israel, to the exodus from Egypt. And then Psalm 106 traces the history of Israel's unfaithfulness to God from the exodus To the Babylonian exile. So, as God was faithful, his people were treacherous. It's essentially a confession and a request for God's help. Psalm 107 opens up book five of the Psalms, which really sees a switch in theme. So, the Psalms become much more messianic, so pertaining to the Messiah, uh, because a dominant theme is the Davidic covenant. So, Psalm 107's theme is God's unfailing love, his willingness to forgive and save. Psalm 108 continues the theme of God's love. It says, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. And it goes on to record a cry for God's help from enemies that are coming against Israel. Psalm 109 is also Davidic, and it's a cry for God's justice. So David wants God to do to his enemies what they have planned to do to him. And it's a bit brutal, but keep in mind here, David can't command God. And he isn't trying to command God. He's pouring out his heart and desires to God and asking God to get involved. David is placing his legal case, essentially, before the only righteous judge. And he's trusting in God's justice and in God's decisions. Psalm 110 looks back to Genesis and forward to the book of Hebrews when it speaks about an eternal messianic king slash priest in the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 111 is an acrostic poem that celebrates God's works and how they're eternal, they're unstoppable, just like praise to God should be. And finally for today, Psalm 112 speaks of the amazing hope that the righteous have. Verse 4 says this, Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. All right, guys, leave any comments or questions down below. And don't forget to keep your eye out for the next Catch Up Recap video coming this weekend. See ya. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.